Welcome to another edition of First Word from First Church. This is Pastor Dave Buchanan at the First Church in Sutton. Please enjoy the message and may God bless you richly through it. Our first scripture lesson comes from Peter's letter, his first letter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And from the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, we read, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here ends our reading for this day. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Thank you, Alice. 
the way this gospel passage starts, we kind of have to put it a little bit in perspective because this and other passages like it have been misused when it starts right off that they lock the doors for fear of the Jews. You could reword that a little bit. They lock the door for fear of corrupt leadership in the Jewish religious community. And sadly, and this, this rings with me, I guess, I shouldn't read the news as much as I do, I, I suppose, but people riled up by a false story. They'd already been riled up to violence and could be riled up again to violence, so we have people hiding in an upper room with the door locked. Just reflect on that with what, what happens in our, our culture and society today with people riled up against one another their actions that they're willing to take. And one of the things I love about this, when there wasn't any peace outside the doors, Jesus repeats a phrase three times in two different visits, just in this short passage. Did you catch it? Peace be with you. In Aramaic or Hebrew, he would have said, Shalom, peace of God be with you. Even in the midst of the fear, the turmoil, the wonder, they've heard the story of the women who were at the tomb. Maybe they've heard from Simon Peter and the young John who wrote this gospel. Yeah, we we saw the empty tomb. And the women said, yes, we saw the risen Lord. He said he'll come to meet you. And if this story is accurate, they're hiding in an upper room. They've already fled Jerusalem. They're up in Galilee, and they're still behind locked doors and afraid. And Jesus, and and some say this is his miraculous new body that can pass through walls. I don't think walls were much of a hindrance to Jesus before. They're less so now in his risen state. And he comes among them and says, peace be with you, shalom. Be with you. In Greek, it'd be Irene, but I like shalom better. It sounds better. It's a full word. And then he says, I'm sending you out. This is the, the first title change. A disciple is a student. An apostle is an emissary, an ambassador. The word apostle means one sent out in Greek, apostello. I send you out. Now they've changed title, now they've changed commission. No longer to learn, but now to go out and speak and teach. Problematic phrase, receive the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, they're really gonna get the Spirit. They're gonna get the wind and the fire that empowered them to build the new church and empowers the church to this day that we will celebrate in relatively few weeks on Pentecost again. But here it gives them a premonition. Receive the divine wind. That's what the Holy Spirit means, by the way, divine wind. He breathes on them as a kind of a precursor to the the full empowerment and embodiment of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you forgive any sins, they're forgiven. If you withhold them, it's withheld. Um, God withholds final right on that. But he did grant the church very cautiously the right to uphold a sin or forgive a sin. Uphold the, the sinfulness of it. Ouch, careful there. We have it, but we need to be careful. 
But the story's about Thomas. And I didn't get a chance to look it up this morning. I need affirmation. Are Missouri license plates still the show me state? They are, okay, I had to confirm that. I had a, a friend, a pastoral mentor when I was in seminary who was also from Missouri. And he was a little bit of a show me type. Like me, when he studies scripture, he starts with the cerebral stuff and it goes to the heart and then the gut comes up with the stories for preaching. He probably preached more intellectually and cerebrally and academically than I did, but he had a PhD in Hebrew, he should. I can't, I can't read that stuff like he did. But we've got Thomas from Missouri, I mean Thomas the twin, doubting Thomas to this day. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house for many rooms, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And set Jesus up to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Thomas has a history here already. If Simon Peter rushes in or sticks his foot in his mouth prematurely, Thomas is the one who says, um, really? Or as I said to the kids, come on. That's Thomas. One of his twin brother was like that. We never get to meet Thomas's twin. We just know he's called Thomas the twin. That's how we know which Thomas it is. Thomas Didymus. And he says, now he's known these other 11, and we don't know how many disciples were in the room. I mean, there were, there were 12 basic, and they'd lost one at this point. But there were others. There were the women. There were the other larger flock of disciples. Who knows how many were in the room? He's known these people for three years. He's traveled with them. He sat literally at Jesus' feet and learned, and yet he still says, I don't believe you. That one's too big a story. I won't believe it. I was mistaken with the kids earlier. It wasn't a day. He let poor Thomas dangle out there for a week. Poor Tom, well, I don't say poor Thomas. He asked for it. But Jesus let Thomas dangle for a week wondering I know and love these brothers and sisters, and yet they're telling me they've seen Jesus? They're telling me some of them ate with him? They broke bread like, like he did at the table? Nah, I can't quite believe it. I got It's my own senses. And this can happen for a week. Poor Thomas was isolated from the risen Lord because he can find what he could believe not to trustworthy witness not to the prophecy that Jesus had reiterated if the disciples were wise enough to listen. I'm going to confine it, Thomas says, to what I can touch, what I can see, what my head can conceive. And if I limit my faith to the size of my brain and my intellect, I squeeze God in an awfully small box. I need more God than that. Thomas needed more God than that. Thomas wound up, in fact, going to India, being commissioned by a king in India to build him a, a palace. <laughs> Thomas siphoned off the money and built a church. And the native Indian priest took such great offense at him. The symbol of Thomas is a carpenter's square superimposed with a picture of the spear that was used to kill him. Trivia question, who was the only one of these apostles who died in his bed of old age? John, the one writing this gospel. 
He got, he got exiled to Potmos, which wasn't any great deal, but he's the only one who died of old age, Did not, was not martyred for his faith. So if we try to constrain, and we don't believe reliable witness, we don't believe people who to this day, people of very different other faiths in different parts of the world from ours are still witnessing to the risen Christ coming to them and giving similar message to what they gave to Saul on the road to Damascus, I'm the risen Lord, why are you denying me? And at great risk to themselves, even from their own families in some cultures, they come to Christ and say, he's come to me. He's raised me up with him. I have to seek baptism and become a Christian. Some have had to flee their homes and their own families. What kind of witness do we need? Do you take risk? Do you put your life at risk from your own family, your own community to this day for a lie? And how many thousands? How many hundreds said they saw him then? How many thousands since? To believe maybe we won't get a personal visit from Jesus. I've had a couple of very startling, if not terrifying, visits directly from the Holy Spirit. It's startling. I've not seen a face to go with it. Man, I've heard a voice. I gotta tell you, make a believer of you in a minute. Once you get over the deep breath you have to take, the gasp that you have to take. Thomas gasped, but what did Thomas gasp out? As I said to the kids, the first confession of faith of the early church. It doesn't say he had to take advantage of the invitation to touch the wounds, but he took the invitation to cry out, my Lord and my God. The first confession of faith of the Christian church from the one who doubted the hardest was the first to confess the faith. That means we don't have to be ashamed of our doubts. If the doubt leads to intellectual and heartfelt honesty in seeking out the gospel and looking for those 151 prophecies and looking to the historical witness even outside scripture, looking to the witness borne by so many who suffered and even died for faith in Christ and would not deny him for any reason. To read, if you've ever read Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, better yet if you haven't, the movie's okay, but it tells more about the author than it does the meat and potatoes. You wanna read the book by Lee Strobel. They have real cheap paperback versions out now, by the way. And he was an atheist. I mean, enjoyed being an atheist. He lived a colorful life. So did he and his wife until she got converted and their son got converted. And it constrained his lifestyle, put it that way. He was an award-winning Chicago Tribune journalist trained in legal journalism. And he said, I'm gonna prove to my wife that this is all hooey. This is a hoax, Jesus isn't real. He spent two years, and that's what he outlines in his book, and gives descriptive interviews in his book, looking to historians, archeologists, biblical scholars, teachers of general purpose religion, 
not necessarily Christians. He spent two years trying to prove to his wife there is no Jesus Christ, and he certainly didn't rise from the dead. At the end of two years, what he writes in his book is that if he was intellectually honest with himself, he had to get down on his knees and pray to Christ and accept him as Savior because he proved that he didn't disprove it by the rules of legalistic journalism. Pastor Lee Strobel has now built on that and written a whole bunch of books, but that's how he started. And I've read several of his books. That's the best one, The Case for Christ. I, I commend it if you haven't read it, and if you read it a while ago, read it again. If you need the intellectual help that Thomas had to get, his was physical. Doubt is okay if it leads to honesty, if it leads to that, that same questioning. Thomas was brought very directly to faith. We can be brought to faith if it wobbles a little bit around the edges. And if you, if you don't doubt, you're not thinking at some point, but think it through. Reinforce the faith. Christ is indeed risen from the dead, lives to this day, still appears to those he would draw to him as disciples. He still fills us with the Holy Spirit as the wind and power to be his church to continue preaching the gospel, to be his apostles in the world. Entertain a doubt only for a short time, but let Jesus draw you back in certainty of faith to him. Thanks be to our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for having joined us for First Word from First Church. We pray that God has blessed you in some way, in his way, through the message that we have just shared with you. Please join us again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen.